Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. What makes a community thrive? A strong downtown certainly helps. Today we explore how towns and cities in Connecticut respond to issues like vacant storefronts. Are there spots in your town or city where businesses have closed and nothing has taken their place? Coming up, we'll get national perspective on the issue. Do you own a retail shop in Connecticut? What's your experience been like? You can join our conversation, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're talking about this issue today because next week there's a statewide summit that will explore retail in the age of disruption. It's being hosted by the Connecticut Main Street Center, and its CEO, Patrick McMahon, joins me now in studio. Patrick, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Later on, we're going to talk specifically about this summit that I mentioned, but we wanted to learn more about your organization and also um, how you're working uh, to help municipalities around the state. So I guess we could just start off by explaining, uh, you know, what is Connecticut Main Street Center? Well, we are a statewide nonprofit organization. We are funded by the State uh, Department of Economic and Community Development as well as Eversource, our our founding sponsors. We've been uh, in existence for uh, 20 years next year. And uh, we essentially do networking uh, events uh, around the state for our member communities. We have over 80 member communities, ranging from little old uh, Coventry to a suburb like Windsor Locks, and we have uh, cities as well. Hartford, we have uh, Upper Albany Main Street is a an affiliate of ours. We basically do education. Uh, we espouse a comprehensive approach to uh, downtown revitalization, uh, utilizing a model. It's called the uh, National Main Street Four Point Approach. So the first is an organization. There's got to be an organization, whether that is a downtown merchants association, whether it's the Chamber of Commerce, whether it's a nonprofit uh, Main Street program or something called a business improvement district. There's got to be someone who's driving the bus locally. But we also have to look at the design of the downtown. How does it function from where's the parking? Are the streets wide enough? What are the elevations of the buildings? What's the connectivity? What's the connective tissue uh, downtown? We also look at promotions. Promotions is, uh, is another leg of the stool. And then finally, economic enhancement. Econo- economic enhancement is essentially what is the market? What, what sort of businesses can you attract based on the market that you have? Uh, and if there are some uh, vacant or underutilized parcels, what are some of the tools that uh, communities can utilize in order to, to bring these back uh, into fruition? We know we have a lot of municipalities in the state of Connecticut, 169, uh, in fact. And so when you think about where you live uh, in terms of economic development office uh, or these business district, as you mentioned, it's very uh, local. And so what is the, I guess, the role of the Connecticut Main Street Center in working with these municipalities? Is it uh, to get everyone on the same page or if some municipalities are struggling? I'm just curious how you're able to work with these very different communities. Yeah, around th- this. There's no doubt. Each one has their own 
challenges and opportunities. And, and the first thing is to really go in and determine w- what, uh, what are their assets. Uh, we call it asset-based uh, community development. Determine who are the people, who drives the bus, who are the stakeholders, what businesses are there, what are the uh, landlords and the property owners, who's uh, working uh, it, at the town level, whether it's the economic developer, the uh, town planner, is the CEO uh, involved? So we really tried to do a scan and kind of understand what are the, the issues. And then we come up with uh, catered uh, solutions. And when we hear from various uh, communities that there's a particular issue, we try to bring everybody together. We convene uh, a wide range of uh, stakeholders. In the spring, we had a summit on adaptive reuse of historic buildings, and we brought in architects, engineers, developers, contractors, municipal officials to talk about that issue. That can now, be a challenge, It right? was a yeah. very challenge. And now we're bringing people together to talk about this retail uh, mm-hmm. issue. We had some communities say, hey, in this age of disruption with online retailing, we're a little bit uh, concerned. We see a little bit more vacancy on our main street. What are the tools? What can we What can we do? And so we decided we'd bring a couple of national experts uh, to the state. Uh, Robert Gibbs from Gibbs Planning, uh, who you'll hear from a little later. But we also have Larissa Ortiz from Street Sense. They're based out of uh, Washington, D.C. They are a retail consultant. In fact, they have doing work uh, right now for the town of uh, West Hartford uh, for their center and their retail as part of their update to the plan of conservation and development. Larissa is based in New York City. Uh, but uh, it, it's great to bring here, her here to uh, Connecticut to, to shed some uh, light. Her talk is actually going to be the ecology of place. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk specifically about uh, Connecticut. When we mentioned retail, you talked about uh, the challenge of uh, online uh, shopping uh, these days. So uh, when we look at a specific community, uh, say whether we're in a city like Hartford or in a smaller town like you mentioned, Coventry, what does retail look like today? Well, brick and mortar is still the main driver for retail. Over 90% of sales are still in the brick and mortar. So there is a, a, a growing percentage uh, for online retail. Uh, however, really what we need to do is we, it's called omni-channel. Uh, you got to have the brick and mortar, but you also have to have a presence online. So our recommendation to the small businesses is make sure that you have a, a, a robust social media uh, presence on all on all the channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, you want to make sure that you're having specials that are going to bring people into your shop. Uh, you know, there's actually a move to have uh, sort of entertain. It's called re- retailtainment, mm-hmm. and you would have potentially yoga. You could have a coffee bar. You might have a sitting area. You may bring in music. So people today. They want to be entertained when they go out. So it's so easy to go online mm-hmm. and shop. But when you're going to one of our downtowns, you're experiencing that, that fun element to meet other people, gather with friends, go and touch, feel, smell the product. You can't do that online. Mm-hmm. 
So that's why it's important to uh, to, to come downtown. Uh, with me in studio is Patrick McMahon, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center. As we focus in on municipal downtowns, uh, what does your downtown look like where you live? Uh, do you notice vacancies that uh, that have persisted for some time? Are you a small retail business? We want to hear from you. Join our conversation, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Patrick, I was thinking about um, in the 13 years I've lived in Connecticut, uh, you know, I, I moved uh, first to West Hartford and rented there uh, for a year before my husband and I uh, then uh, bought our first home in Middletown. And Middletown is known for their historic Main Street, lots of mom and pop shops, as well as uh, new businesses coming online. But in terms of uh, maybe these retailers who've been in business for a long time, how do you get them to, I guess, buy into having that online presence, to have a robust Facebook page? Either you have to come up to the times or you're going to fail now in, in business. Essentially, mm-hmm. the uh, the trend is so much towards the, the online that if you're not capturing a part of that uh, that market, uh, you're you're going to struggle. Uh, but it's not just the, the whole retail uh, online aspect of it. You have to, as a retailer, make sure your shop is attractive, okay? The exterior's got to be inviting. The interior has to have a layout that is fresh and that people are going to want to stay and linger. Uh, if it doesn't, then uh, then you're going to lose out to uh, competition. Mm. Uh, we've been hearing that there are uh, many communities, not just in Connecticut, but nationwide, that are struggling with increasing uh, number of vacancies, whether mm. it's in their downtown or maybe in the shopping corridor where there used to be mom and pop shops, but not so much anymore. So what do vacancies look like in particular municipalities in our state? Are they increasing? It's hard to say that they're increasing. It, you know, retail goes in ebbs and flow just like any other, uh, you know, market office uh, is also the same or restaurants. You know, the the, the businesses come and go. Uh, the, the challenge is we want to make sure that we engage and activate as many of the spaces as possible. Because, you know, as if you've been downtown uh, Middletown, you're going to want that continuous walk by all of those storefronts. And if there starts to be gaps in those storefronts, then you're going to potentially turn around back to your car. So we want to make sure as many of those spaces are are activated. So some of the things that communities can do that can really, you know, raise the raise the game is uh, you know promote shop local. If you uh, shop local, the money recirculates within your community. If you do go to one of the national chains, it's quite possible it's going to shareholders that are elsewhere across the country. So shop local. Uh, there's something called the Small Business Saturday that's approaching on November 30th. And communities, you can, have, you can be a neighborhood champion. So if you're the Chamber of Commerce or you the uh, local Main Street organization or just a shop owner, you can be a neighborhood champion and promote some events to draw people down right after Black Friday. Everybody goes out to Black Friday with to the big retailers. This is an opportunity to say, no, hold on. Your mom and pop retailers are right here. And those mom and pop retailers, they're the ones who are donating to the uh, local gymnastics or local baseball. Little League. The Little League. They're the ones who know you, the personal contact. So go out and support them locally. 
communities can do other things with uh, the, the vacant spaces. So get an inventory. Know what you have as a locality. Find a way to market uh, those spaces. You're going to hear from uh, Carl Rosa a little bit later, and they have a very creative uh, storefront advertising that he can tell you more about. Uh, I've been in Putnam where they've taken uh, window displays and done some creative things with it. Mm-hmm. To, and Putnam is on the eastern side uh, of the state? So yeah. tell us what were some of the creative things they've done. Yeah. Oh, Putnam is absolutely amazing. It's only 9,000 people. Uh, it's an old uh, mill town, but it, the, the historic charm just emanates. And they have these really creative uh, events. Uh, for instance, fire and ice uh, over the winter, where they ha- have the largest ice carving competition, I believe, in the country, if, at least in the, in the Northeast. Uh, they have a big pumpkin festival. Uh, so they, they focus their downtown. They have a uh, Putnam Business Association that has like 250 members. For a community of 9,000, they have a mm-hmm. business association of 250 members is absolutely astounding. And if Putnam can do it, then Middletown can do it, then Meriden can do it, then North Canaan can do it. And that's the message that we are, are sharing, the importance of downtowns and then what you can do to improve them. What about, do you hear from communities who struggle with uh, landlords who, you know, they own particular blocks or a particular building and that vacancy has persisted? I mean, should um, how do you walk through with municipal leaders on how much pressure should be put on landlords? Uh, we heard of uh, you know a situation in California where uh, the local uh, council was thinking about putting in uh, an idea of a vacancy tax. Uh, that's already in place in uh, Arlington, Massachusetts, and more and more uh, communities are are actually looking at that. I believe uh, mm-hmm. the mayor of uh, of uh, Boston is uh, contemplating it. Uh, but that might not be the, the best approach. I mean, it, let's go for more of the, the, the carrot approach than the stick approach. Uh, ultimately, if we get, have Especially to get to the stick approach. <laughs> yes. Especially in Connecticut, right? We don't want to hear. Um, so so there's, mm-hmm. there's no particular, uh, there's a, let's say there's a range of reasons why a space might be vacant. So the landlord isn't always sort of culpable. Mm-hmm. You know, potentially they're waiting for the right mix of tenants. Uh, maybe a prop, maybe a business was in there for 20, 30, 40 years, a, a, a mainstay of the community. Like in Torrington, Michael's Jewelers just went out. That might be vacant for a period of time. And that's just because of the natural ebb and flow of, of businesses. It wasn't the, the landlord. It just was the way it, it, it happened. Sometimes the fit out costs of the, the space is uh, more than the rents can uh, you know, uh, generate at that point. So you hold on to it. There's also in some communities, uh, there there may actually be a, a tenant. There, it's it's dark space, but there is a lease. Someone is still paying on that lease. So the landlord's getting the money. The community though doesn't know that the business is still paying a uh, you know a lease. Patrick McMahon is my guest in studio here on Where We Live, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center. We're going to continue our conversation after the break. We also want to hear from you. Are you a small retail business owner in your town? Uh, We're going to hear some examples from other towns uh, working with uh, small business owners and changing up uh, what their main streets look like. You can join our conversation. Here's the number, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
Are there empty storefronts where you live? I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today on the show, we're talking about downtowns and towns or cities and the struggle to fill vacant spaces. My guest in studio is Patrick McMahon, CEO of Connecticut Main Street Center. Now, if you own a shop, how do you attract walk-in customers who don't want to battle traffic or pay for parking? And have vacant storefronts in town affected your business? You can join our conversation, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Patrick McMahon in studio with me. And joining us now by phone, uh, Carl Rosa, CEO of Main Street Waterbury, which is a Connecticut Main Street Center uh, member community. Carl, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Good morning, Patrick. Morning, Carl. Uh, Carl, we were actually just in Waterbury a couple months ago, where we live, held a, a coffee break. And what's interesting about Waterbury is uh, some of those uh, historic buildings, but also uh, a center of town where there are local businesses. So uh, tell me, uh, from Waterbury's perspective, how, do, how has vacancy uh, impacted your community, and, and what are some steps you've taken? Well, certainly, I mean, we've had our share of vacant storefronts over the years. But, um, you know, we've had some really positive recent developments that have helped us out. Um, We've just recently added uh, Post University into our downtown with 400 employees. And you could imagine that's been an almost immediate economic impact to the downtown district. But now, having that in place, we do have to address... um, you know, we still have to address our vacancies that we do have. And one of the things we've done over the years with our Main Street program here in Waterbury is maintain a constant available properties list that's available for anyone that's interested in locating in any of our storefronts downtown. We update it on a regular basis, um, square footage, lease rates or for sale rates for the space, who the contact people are, what the usage was, um, where where it's located, and we we continually upgrade that list because, as Patrick was mentioning before, it ebbs and flows. Retail comes in, retail leaves. Restaurants come in, restaurants leave, and so we're constantly on that. So now we have an inventory, but we still want to physically market the actual storefront spaces. So about a year ago, we came up with a downtown blooming windows program, and essentially what we did we got we got authorization from our board of directors to assign some money to installing these decals of a blooming tree and into the vacant space. And then in the lower right-hand corner of the window, we will put the contact information, the phone number, who to call on that space in case you're interested in locating in there. And then through website and social media, we continue to advertise the spaces as well. Now, this is part and parcel from any efforts that the building owner might be doing for that space or his or her real estate representative, we took the bull by the horns and just said, we're going to do this on our own as well. So what that does is two things. It shows a uniformity throughout downtown that we have some kind of a management system in place to try and market our available spaces, but also um, beautifies the window so you're not just staring into a blank, dark window um, with not knowing what's going on with it. And so it, it hits on a number of different cylinders on how to just move and market our spaces along and try and create interest for it. Uh, when you do have interest, are these uh, business uh, businesses that are from out of town that are interested in coming into Waterbury? Are they Waterbury residents that are uh, looking to, to start a, a new venture? I think it's a combination. Um, we've had, you know, businesses that are in Waterbury that might be entertaining opening up a second location. Now that they see traction with additional employees, which are paychecks, 
they look at an opportunity, so they say, okay, this could be something we can do. It could be um, investment people or, you know, developers that are looking at downtown and they're seeing um, a new vibrancy in, in life into the downtown, so now they have an opportunity to want to invest. And part of their project or investment will be they're going to have to accommodate some level of retail on, on a first floor of whatever building they're interested in. So I, So then... Some of those businesses might be from out of the region or, or, or out of um, out of town, but so it's a combination of both. It's what it, it you're creating the uh, you're creating the enthusiasm and you're creating the availability of the space and people now reinterested in, in moving into downtown uh, Waterbury. So you're 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 creating that environment that people are giving us a second look. Uh, Carl, we just got a, a tweet from a listener uh, who uh, asked, could the issue with vacancies be attributed to expense, uh, the, car, the cost to start a business, uh, the wage workers are not saving enough to attempt it, uh, the national store market or big chain priced uh, rent? I'm just curious when we think about uh, retailers that are successful, you know, so often for a uh, few decades now, Americans have been used to going to the mall, uh, but now malls are on the decline. And uh, talk about the mall around Waterbury and what you're seeing there and how that might be either uh, contributing to maybe more interest now in the downtown? I think our mall is located pretty close to downtown, but we've always had a really good relationship with our mall and our mall management. A business that is in a mall might not be a good fit to go downtown and vice versa, so we've always worked well with them on, on things of that nature. In fact, two of my past board chairs have been the mall managers. In fact, one of them is going to be a panelist at next week's um, uh, presentation that Connecticut Main Street is putting on. Uh, Karen Pollard was our, one of our first board uh, chairs. So um, we've always had a good relationship with them all, and we're always looking for ways to cooperate with them. They're big supporters of ours. Um, I think it's more all of what you mentioned as far as, uh, you know, the challenges of downtown with, um, you know, rental rates and what needs to be done to the to the building to get it ready for occupancy. Uh, it is a challenge, and those things are constantly being addressed to see how we can make, make things better for people to be interested in our spaces. Uh, but for us, it's... It's, the mall is not to blame on downtowns. I mean, it, obviously, it, it, it's, it's a factor, but it's not the only factor. Uh, and it's, malls have been around a long time. It's just a matter of creating a lifestyle experience for your downtowns, creating interest and in activity and events and keeping it clean, safe, and friendly, and creating an atmosphere where people want to come down for things. And shopping is part of it, but there's other things that go on as well. Carl Rosa is on the phone with me, CEO of Main Street Waterbury. In studio with me is Patrick McMahon, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center. You know, Patrick, I am curious, uh, uh, as uh, Carl mentioned, uh, you know, retailers that are often uh, in malls, not always the best fit for a downtown area. But as we've seen malls uh, decline, you know, now I live in uh, Suffield. So right across the bridge is the town of Enfield. They've got a huge mall that's very empty. And Target sits right next to the Enfield Mall. A lot of residents there uh, say that's the reason why all these smaller shops in the mall have closed. And so uh, when a mall doesn't bring in the traffic it once did, uh, is there a challenge where maybe some of these bigger retailers want to get it to a smaller uh, footprint in a, in a certain downtown area? And the struggle of a municipal leader saying, you know, do we allow that to happen? Because, they, you know, that tax base is good for us. Well, it's, it's interesting that you raised uh, Enfield because we actually did some contractual work with 
with Enfield to create something called a tax increment financing mm-hmm. district. As you mentioned, the, the mall itself was dealing with some significant vacancy in the mall itself. The retail area around it is pretty much thriving, uh, but it's also very close to Enfield's historic uh, Thompsonville mm-hmm. neighborhood. And so we came in to create this TIF district because it'll bring in uh, some revenue that can be laser focused just on that area. And there is the possibility that there's some businesses in the mall that will uh, downsize and, and, and move into some other uh, strip centers or into the to the downtown. Uh, but let's not go there. Let's have both the areas uh, thriving. And one of the things that Enfield's going to likely try to do is create some uh, more mixed use, some mm-hmm. residential near the mall that will uh, help drive traffic to uh, that location. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. The uh, North Central uh, Chamber of Commerce moved into the mall, their their office, in order to, to be the day in and day out mm-hmm. uh, messenger for Enfield and the business community there. You mentioned uh, residential maybe moving closer to that area, but is there a challenge getting, say, uh, the city council? Uh, does Is the zoning making changes with zoning a, a challenge as well? Zoning's always going to be something that communities are going to have to address. Uh, communities are going to have to look at uh, more flexible flexibility uh, in their zoning going, going forward. Uh, perfect case in uh, point is uh, the city of Hartford. Uh, they did a complete uh, rezoning or zone change, and they've eliminated the parking minimums. And that's going to help uh, drive more development uh, downtown and in the neighborhood commercial uh, district. So kudos to any of the communities that are really uh, looking at their, their zoning, trying to find ways to uh, to make it so that mixed use. Because in the past, that was what part of the issue is you had your industry here, you had your business here, you had your houses there. Uh, that's not the way it was long ago. Traditionally, these these uh, uses were, were mixed. So if you're in downtown Middletown, you had some kind of retail or a restaurant on the first floor, and then on the upper stories, you had housing. Uh, throughout uh, some of our legacy cities, so I'm talking the, the Norwiches, the Danbury's, we still have some vacancies in those upper uh, stories. We got to make it so that zoning is uh, allows for that mixed use. We also have to work with the the building official to make sure that the you know those building codes and some of these historic uh, buildings that we can address uh, the concerns and, and find waivers or modifications of uh, of those codes if it's going to uh, prevent us from filling a filling a space. You're listening uh, to Where We Live here on Connecticut Public Radio. My guest in studio, Patrick McMahon, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center, as we focus in on how municipals can work uh, to make their downtown areas or the corridors where their mom and shop stores have thrived uh, for so long, um, you know, the challenges of filling in vacant spaces, if that is an issue that persists. Um, if this is something that you notice where you live, you can join our conversation, 888-720-WMPR. That's 9677. Uh, Carl Rosa on the phone with me, CEO of Main Street Waterbury. I wanted to get in another perspective. So joining us now also is Elizabeth Donius, Executive Director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. I'm glad to be here. So tell us more about Westville. I was introduced to Westville just a, a couple of years ago when I had a friend uh, move to that particular part of New Haven. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the history of Westville and what is there now. Okay, sure. Um, Westville Village is a small commercial district in the city of New Haven. 
Um, and it's long been known for its vibrant art scene and its strong community spirit. And so historically, Wessel uh, was part of kind of a mill area. So we have um, a historic component to the buildings that are are in in the neighborhood. And I'd say going back about 15 or 20 years, uh, it, be, it became a real artist community. So uh, many artists live and work in our small commercial district, which is only about three blocks long. And there was investment made by that community to create live work below market rate housing spearheaded by uh, Thea Buxbaum, who still lives in, in Westville. And over the years, uh, the community through our organization and through the artists and people who live and work there have invested in that identity and grown and nurtured that community. Um, and I think uh, in the last few years, we've had significant retail growth, um, 10 new businesses in the last two years. And I think the roots of that growth uh, can be can be found in the investment that was made in that community over all of these years in terms of having a lot of the things that Patrick and Carl are talking about. We've had, we have a really robust um, schedule of community events with our art walk coming up on October 12th and 13th, citywide open studios where all the artists open their studios. Um, we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, We've also embraced vibrancy in all of its forms. So several key pieces of our development that drew these businesses here um, came, were not public facing. So not unlike the post-university example, um, we had that live work lofts uh, project that happened many years ago. And then the most exciting thing that helped anchor our recent uh, revitalization was the creation of Lotta Studio and West River Arts by Misty and Luke Hanscom are local photographers and created a, a business, an anchor business that has a co-working space on the first floor for creative and 13 individual artist, artist studios upstairs. So some of these things are not necessarily public facing, but they, they make the commercial area so much more vibrant and they draw people who want to be a part of what's going on. They want to uh, participate um, in that community that is in, that is vibrant and alive within the within the commercial district. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, 888-720-9677. Alex is calling from New Haven. Alex, go ahead. Yes, uh, New Haven has a great program that Town Green has rolled out called Windowed Worlds, and uh, they work with the local property owners who have vacant space and artists the local property owners pay the artists directly $850, and they bring in unique pieces of art uh, and displays in all the vacant spaces in downtown, and it's quite wonderful. Some of the some of the pieces are really unique, and people have really gravitated to it, and the program seems to be working well. So, Thank you, Alex, for your call. I think I've actually seen some of those uh, in my last trip uh, to New Haven. Um, Elizabeth, who's with us from, again, Elizabeth Donius, Executive Director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. Uh, Alex mentions the town green. It's centrally located, gets a lot of attention. So how do you bring uh, more foot traffic and people to Westville? Sure. Um, Well, we have, because we have a lot of artists who live in Westville, we also have a a vibrant public art program uh, with uh, installations throughout the village um, and a couple of art galleries, 
Um, and what we do is really try to support and nurture the community that is that exists within our neighborhood and promote it, um, you know, throughout the region. So for foot traffic, one of the things that's been really interesting, foot traffic is kind of the, the critical piece um, for the retail uh, sector. And for us, what we found is having a lot of businesses open that are kind of hybrid 21st century businesses that uh, increase our foot traffic, but aren't entirely dependent on it has made a huge difference for us over the past few years. So we have really seen an increase in our foot traffic, but the businesses that helped grow that all had kind of a hybrid model. So like I talked about a lot of studio, that's brought a lot of creative people to just be in the village all day and working. Um, next door to them is Neville Wisdom Designs. Neville is a, is a fashion designer, works in New Haven, has a shop downtown in the town green section, has a showroom in Westville, and his manufacturing is done in Westville. So, you know, we're not dependent on people walking past Neville's store and going in and buying uh, custom-made clothing every day because we have that manufacturing component as well. And what we get is Neville working, living, and being a part of our community, which is a, a draw in and of itself. Um, we have other businesses that have recent, recently opened Elm City Sounds, which is a record shop, uh, Vintanthro Modern and Vintage, which is a really lovely, funky, curated vintage vintage shop with more modern uh, stuff in it, too. Um, and these businesses have really strong and strange ways, I should mention as well, all have really strong online presences. So they do some of their business online in the case of Strange Ways and Elm City Sounds, you know, a significant amount of the, the money is coming in, you know, through, through transactions that aren't driven by foot traffic. And then in the case of uh, Vintanthro Modern and um, actually Mew Haven Cat Cafe, we have a cat cafe. Those, those businesses are very active on social media. So I've been in Melissa Gonzalez's store, Vintanthro Modern, and had people come in to buy things that she's put up on, on Instagram that day. Mm -hmm. So there's women all over the area following Melissa's Instagram. You know, she's a, she's a influencer, as they say, and they see something they like and they come in and they buy it. So, those kinds of things are anchoring uh, this kind of revitalization we have in Westville. And people come, they feel that organic sense of community that that we invested. We invested in that in our assets, as Patrick would say. Um, they and they want to be a part of it, and and uh, and so people are finding new kind of forward-thinking ways of drawing those customers in, and everybody benefits in Westville from that. It sounds like there's some good energy in Westville. We wanted to get some national perspective on uh, this local issue of uh, supporting uh, small retailers. And so joining the conversation now um, is uh, Bob, uh, Bob Gibbs, urban planning and retail consultant, president of Gibbs Planning Group and director of the Urban Retail Institute. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I mentioned uh, to Elizabeth that there sounds like there's a lot of energy, a lot of interesting approaches happening, whether it's in Westville or in the city of Waterbury. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, as we hear about uh, larger retailers struggling, uh, malls uh, uh, becoming more empty, is that helping smaller retailers across the country? Uh, it is, uh, because people are, many people are leaving the malls and returning back to downtowns. 
And so uh, tell us what you, um, some particular communities that you've worked with, Bob, and maybe some of the challenges they see and how they've addressed those. We've uh, been fortunate to work in every state in the country and from everywhere from Fargo, North Dakota, to Palm Beach or Beverly Hills, California. And we are finding that there is a rush for quality downtowns that are beautifully designed and beautifully maintained for uh, strong retailers to employ new stores there and for uh, shoppers to visit there and spend money. Mm. Uh, when we think about um, often we're all connected to a device, whether it's our uh, our mobile phone or our tablet, um, oftentimes it's sometimes people think it's just easy to order from Amazon. But really, how much of the market does online sh- shopping take away from uh, retail businesses? Well, it's a, it's a deceiving number. Overall, it's 9% of total retail shopping, but it's 40% of the kinds of things you'd buy in a mall clothing, sweaters, shoes, jewelry, books, electronics. So it is pretty significant overall, but um, still only 9%. And um, so there's an opportunity for downtowns to compete the mall with the mall and with the online shopping if they uh, can have an Internet presence and provide that excitement they can't get it by buying something online. Uh, we've heard uh, in the last couple of months uh, that a uh, recession is coming. So I'm wondering, um, as we hear about uh, retailers and, and the economy right now is, is looking good for them, you know, how do you uh, caution uh, businesses or communities to think about uh, this um, as, they, as they plan um, for development? Well, it's important always to give people value and to give them uh, service the quality service they can't get online. But it's also important to sell the brands and uh, things that people want to buy that they need and to be available when they want to shop. Last year, about 70% of all shopping occurred after 5.30 at night and on Sunday. So if you're a Main Street that closes at 5.30 at night and on Sunday, you're giving up 70% of the market share. Mm, that's important uh, to note. Uh, and uh, Patrick McMahon, who's in studio with me, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center. Um, so you're familiar with uh, Robert Gibbs's work and um, some of the ways that he consults with municipalities. Is that an interesting number to you, thinking about um, you know shutting down business but maybe uh, able to, to make more depending on the timing on a weekend? Well, we certainly have heard that uh, shop owners should have extended uh, hours. Uh, th- the statistic he just provided was a bit shocking to me. That's yes. the first time. I had heard that, Uh, but that's why we're having the summit, so that this type of data can get out there, uh, so that we can share it with our communities, they can share it with their retailers, and try to have that uh, longer time, uh, both during the work week and uh, on Sundays. I want to thank uh, Robert Gibbs uh, for joining us, urban planning and retail consultant, also president of Gibbs Planning Group and director of the Urban Retail Institute. Uh, We actually got an interesting tweet from a listener. Community leaders who are struggling to modernize their main streets should embrace local independent online news organizations to help build community and small business success. A healthy, professional, locally owned news source can be the catalyst for growth. I believe uh, uh, we do uh, rely a lot on ctnewsjunkie.com, if that's uh, Doug Hardy, who is 
is uh, tweeting us, and that's a great idea. I also want to thank um, some of the municipal uh, voices that we heard from today. First, uh, Carl Rosa, CEO of Main Street Waterbury, Connecticut Main Street Center member community. Carl, thanks for telling us a little bit about what's happening in Waterbury. Thank you so much, uh, Lucy, for having me on. And Elizabeth Donius, Executive Director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. Uh, sounds like good things are happening down there, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Lucy. Come visit us. We, I will. Uh, this is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, we're actually going to hear how local communities are encouraging pop-up stores. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about vacancies in town centers and other challenges businesses face to stay open, like finding desirable spaces and affording rising rents. But some communities see vacancies as an opportunity to encourage pop-up stores. Uh, Joining the conversation now is Jackie Wettenhall, Vice President and Director of Retail Development for Stamford Downtown. Uh, Jackie, welcome to where we live. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to join the conversation. So uh, tell us about uh, the pop-up program in Stamford. Uh, what's happening down there? Yes, we have a very robust uh, pop-up program going on right now. It uh, This uh, January, we w- received a uh, grant uh, from the state, the CT Next Innovation Grant. It's a matching grant, so our organization is matching the funds, about 25000 Uh And what we've done is we decided we have about six, a uh, two-block, beautiful Main Street, and we have about six or seven, you know, vacancies that pop up, a payless left, for instance. Um, and so what we've done is we've reached out and tried to create the type of retailers that we'd like to have there permanently. So, for instance, um, we're looking for, uh, we have a very strong, vital restaurant community on that, those two blocks. So it is a very active street, but uh, really there's not that many shops to go to. There's a very high-end Master Goldsmith, for instance. There's also a beautiful optical shop. Um, there's a dive uh, shop where you can go in and get wetsuits and you know, bathing suits and things like that. But we really wanted um, to bring more of that and uh, instead of just you know walking by a, a vacant store with a leasing sign on it. Mm-hmm. So um, the pop-up program is... Um, uh, is available on our website, so you can look for the information. And we've been able to attract um, very high-end um, uh, dress shops. Uh, Jay Hilburn came in for two months. It's usually a month or two they take the space, and they will pay a small fee uh, to offset the utilities to the landlord. And um, we've been able to get um, two pop-up uh, art galleries, which have been fantastic. Um, Jay Hilburn came in. They're a very high-end um men's uh, made to order and then we had a pirouette with an uh, online store that came in and they did um, beautiful uh, dress you know dress shop um, for a month and um, we're talking to uh, for instance BMW and to do a satellite showroom they're up in uh, a neighboring town Darien um, we'd like them to come in and um, showcase uh, um, some of their wares and some of their um, new cars maybe on a TV screen so it's really been exciting and robust we did a pop-up with Yukon um, um, uh, you know, University of Connecticut here, and um, they did a digital lab um, with professors and students. So um, we are just very, very excited about it. So it sounds like uh, for pop-ups uh, to be successful, uh, it's the retailers that maybe have an established
established brand that can uh, uh, do that for one or two months uh, to uh, have like a, maybe a creative way to see if a, a particular location works for them? Or exactly. what if you're starting out and you just want to open a small business but not quite sure um, if um, this is something that, that might be the location for you? Uh, do you discourage those types of retailers from applying to this, uh, this grant program? Not at all. Uh, I think that it's a perfect way to test the waters and to uh, see if the foot traffic that's there, the um, you know, really works for you. Um, if it's a good fit for your brand, so I think it's a perfect opportunity for, for instance, Pirouette, this online company. Um, I think their price point was a little higher, two hundred dollars plus on a dress was a little tough for uh, this this particular market, um, but they. They um, are willing to come back and um, and remerchandise, uh, so it's um, a, a good opportunity for online uh, online as well as established businesses mm-hmm. that you know would like a satellite store. Uh, my impression of Stanford, there's a lot happening down there, particularly with uh, development and your proximity to New York City. How does that impact, uh, I guess, the rents for people who are looking uh, for spaces but maybe can't afford it? Uh, well, I think that we are well-priced uh, considering the other communities around us. For instance, Greenwich Avenue, our rents are not as high. Uh, our rents are under $100, where theirs are over $100. So uh, it's a very uh, you know good market, and I feel like there's a lot of diversity uh, of the population in our market. So uh, it, that brings an opportunity as well. Mm. Uh, any critiques that maybe uh, one to two months isn't enough time for a business uh, to, I guess, uh, get uh, the word out there that they exist and that they have products to sell? Yes, we're very flexible on that. Okay. And they, we are very blessed with a landlord that owns most of the main street, our Bedford Street uh, is our main street. So uh, he works with us. He works with the pop-ups. And uh, it's been very fluid um, and very successful. So we uh, will definitely have the program um, throughout this year. And um, I'm hoping that it will extend, and I do believe it will, into next year. Well, it certainly sounds uh, very interesting. I want to thank Jackie Wettenhall uh, for joining us, Vice President and Director of Retail Development for Stanford Downtown. We do want to take a a quick call. Uh, Pat's calling from Hamden. Pat, you're on the show? Yes, I am. Um, I find this conversation very interesting. I know Hamden has a vigorous program for attracting businesses to the town in the small areas, but I don't know what they're doing to keep them. For one thing, the one area, there was a shop that I always wanted to get into, but my husband hated the parking lot behind it to get into it because it was on the main Whitney Avenue, which is the main street. And uh, there were several stores in there that looked interesting, but the accessibility was not there as far as driving a car and getting parking fairly close to the place. That's a good point, Pat. We're almost out of time. I want to have uh, Patrick McMahon address uh, your question about um, accessibility for people with mobility issues. Um, challenging for some municipalities, and how do they work around that to make it accessible for people to, to be able to get into their, their shops? Well, I, I will tell you that in Hamden, you're very fortunate to have one of the best economic developers in Dale Croup. So I would be reaching out to uh, the community and having a discussion as to how you can, you know, design that uh, plaza to uh, uh, make sure that it is accessible to the you know, entire audience. 
Uh, we also heard from a, a caller uh, who says that, you know, it's great to hear happy stories, but uh, this person is a small business owner, and her experience is the leases are too expensive. So what are some ways uh, to help small business owners? Are there particular programs through the state uh, that they can get connected with through Connecticut Main Street Center? Well, I think that uh, any small business should uh, go to the Connecticut Small Business Development Center. They're affiliated with the University of Connecticut, and they can uh, provide small business counseling. Uh, there's other entrepreneurial uh, programs as well, the Women's uh, Entrepreneurial Center, uh, the Senior Corps of Retired Executives. So the resources are out there. It's often that the small business doesn't even realize that uh, those are available to them. And so one thing that uh, communities can do is try to advertise the availability of, uh, of those resources. We want to thank Patrick McMahon for putting this issue in front of us. And again, the Connecticut Main Street Center is hosting this Retail in the Age of Disruption uh, Summit coming up next week. Tell us about that. We are so excited about this. Next uh, Wednesday, October 2nd at the Lyceum in Hartford, uh, which is operated by the Partnership for Strong Communities. So some people in your audience have probably heard about uh, that organization. It's a wonderful venue. We'll have over uh, 100 people in the audience. We have the two uh, keynote speak national keynote speakers, followed by a, a, just a wonderful uh, panel that's going to be moderated by Mike Goman from Goman in York. And those people who are involved in retail across the state will certainly uh, know Mike Goman. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to have these people come to uh, Hartford next uh, Wednesday. You can go to uh, ctmainstreet.org uh, to register. I do want to thank our sponsors for the event, uh, People's United Bank, Fuss and & O'Neill, and Mainvest. And Mainvest is interesting because it's a brand new uh, technology. It's an online platform for equity crowdfunding. So it's different than like a Kickstarter for a business where, you know, if you're opening up a brewery, you go to your friends and neighbors and you say, why don't you make a donation? This, they actually make a equity uh, contribution. You will have a part ownership of the, 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 the business. And we're introducing Mainvest to the state next Wednesday. So you're going to want to be there. Well, stay tuned for that. Thanks again, Patrick McMahon, CEO of the Connecticut Main Street Center. Information about that summit on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Patrick, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by senior producer Lydia Brown. Thanks to Carmen Baskoff on the phones. Our technical producer is Kyone Wolf. You can learn more about the show. Just download our podcast on your favorite podcast app. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.